0: Oh man, good morning. Sometimes I'm glad Mia can't talk just yet. (laughs) Um, But this is so cute. I'm, oh man, I'm so excited. I'm a little nervous. Um, But happy Mother's Day to you all. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm excited to get to share a little bit about my life, about my story, a little bit um, from Exodus. Um, to begin, I just want to introduce myself and my family. I have a picture. Um, my husband, Braden, and I um, have been married for, the summer will be eight years. Um, we met in college. We've actually been together 10 years. Um, but Desert City was like the first church we went to um, when we got married. So I feel like we've grown up here. Um, and so Jared and Marcy have like seen us through all the years, I feel like. So um, this is just a little bit of an extra special blessing, I think, for me to to get to share. Um, obviously, the reason I'm here is because I'm a mom. <laughs> my daughter, Mia, she's uh, 13 months old. Um, she's got bright red hair. She's working on learning how to walk. Um, and so there's obviously a lot of new things that come with that. So um, we are in for the ride for sure. Um, my birthday was in February. And up until that point, Mia hadn't really said, like, mama, dada, But it was my birthday, and Brayden was putting Mia down to sleep, and I was heading to sleep too. And then all of a sudden, he like runs into the room with her, and I'm like half asleep. I'm like, what is happening? He's like, Mia, Mia, say it again. And she looks over at me from Brayden's arm, and she goes, Mama. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. Like it was, it was amazing. She did it a couple more times, but um, just like the best birthday gift I think I could have asked for. So um, today we're going to look at the story of Exodus 2, uh, which is another just really special birth story um, of Moses. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen like the Prince of Egypt. Anybody? It's a beautiful story. Obviously, that's what we're going to be talking about today, that first part. Um, my disclaimer for all of this is, like I said, Mia's 13 months old. I am a new mom. I am still learning. Everything that I'm sharing is like, I'm still in it. (laughs) So I don't have a lot of answers today. I have a lot of questions. Um, And so that's what today's gonna be, is just a lot of questions. And and my hope for you is that as we read through this that you know you can have questions too. Um, Before we begin, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for mothers. Uh, We thank you for women. We thank you for caregivers and nurturers. We just thank you for your deep compassion and your love for us as your people and just the unique roles we all get to play um, in this beautiful world. Um, We just give you this time this morning we just pray we learn a little bit more about who you are and the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna jump in. Um, So in Exodus 2, verses one through 10, so they're on the screen. It says, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And so she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the child went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages." And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. In this story, there are three women that are talked about. There's Moses' mom, who we find out later in uh, Exodus 2 that her name is Jochebed. I'm mispronouncing that correctly, maybe. (laughs) Um, Jochebed. And then we know that Moses' sister, later in Exodus, her name is Miriam. And then there's also Pharaoh's daughter. So those are the three key people. The first point I just wanna talk about is how this story shows the importance of the roles of help and community. For Pharaoh's daughter, um, this comes into picture because when she goes and she picks Moses up out of the water, she's approached by a woman we know as Miriam. And when she's asked about, do you want us to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby, Pharaoh's daughter's faced with a decision. She can either say no, which, which honestly is probably the expected answer. Again, as Jared talked about last week, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians during this time. And so for, for Pharaoh's daughter to be the one to find this Hebrew boy, it would be likely that she would need to go with what was expected of her. But instead, she says yes. Yes. And so this part blows my mind, um, but Pharaoh's daughter knowingly saves this life of a Hebrew boy. They say this is one of the Hebrew, Hebrew boys. And it's a direct act of disobedience against Pharaoh's decree, but in doing so, she knowingly allows him to be nursed, too, by a Hebrew woman. So her ability to relinquish this control that she has, or feels like she has, and to invite this help of community around her again, a very unlikely source of community, the community of the Hebrew women and Israelites, it's an admission that despite her wealth and despite her lineage, despite her access to resources, she does not have the capability to raise Moses on her own. And so she again invites a community around her. Something to note too is that there's a difference between the collectivist culture of ancient Egypt and today's individualistic culture here in America in our Western culture. So for them, community was just like a given. That was a very like, integral part of who they were as a people. So family and help and this like, togetherness was expected. But when I'm reading this, and maybe for most of you, I'm reading it from this, again, very Western individualistic mentality. And so it's very hard for me to reconcile and ask for help <laughs> because it's seen as a weakness a lot of the time. So much of the individual is in, is valued, like how much can you do on your own, with your individual skills, based on your own abilities? And then you throw in a baby, <laughs> and that just like, Throws things off. For me, that's when things got even more personal. My husband, Brandon, and I—we've had lots of conversations because I don't like to ask for help. Um, Again, it's just—it's really hard for me, especially when Mia was so little. I just didn't know which way was up, and so asking for help felt like this other big thing to do. And also, for me, when I had to ask for help, it felt like a direct line to like all of my flaws, to all of my failures. It pointed out everything that I couldn't do, and all that I was not, and what type of mom that I was not. Brene Brown, um, in her book, Rising Strong, um, she writes this about help. She says, when you judge yourself for needing help, you judge those you are helping. When you attach value to giving help, you attach value to also needing help. The danger of tying your self-worth to being a helper is feeling shame when you have to ask for help. Offering help is courageous and compassionate, but so is asking for help. I'm guilty of this. I, I do this a lot. I attach judgment to help because I expect a lot for myself. I should be able to do that or this or whatever. And that's been one of the hardest, like, craziest, sneakiest little struggles, I think, for my adjustment as a mom is that my capacity for life is just different. No longer can I be like the yes person and then like rest and figure things out later. Like I can't just keep pushing forward because I don't have just time for myself anymore. My time is no longer just about me and my capacity is no longer just about my life and my schedule and my desires. And then I read and reflect on stories like this from the Bible and I think to myself, like thank goodness it's not all about me. And what I mean is about this is not just to like stop thinking and taking care of ourselves. That's, that's not it. But when that's all we do is just focus on our own things, we just get such a one-track mind and we lose out on just the beauty of all that God is, all of who he's created and he's experienced or gives for us to experience and be in relationship with and to take part in. I feel like I've been a first-hand like, recipient in a lot of ways of community because of Desert City Church. And we have family in town as well and, and friends outside of here that are incredible, but, but Desert City has been like such a blessing for us when we first had Mia and brought her in. We got meals from the meal train and like we have people I know pray for us and encourage us and like offer help and advice and hand-me-downs, like it's been incredible. Um, And so even just seeing, like, Mia play with some of your kids, too, and, like, you guys teaching her or having the kids push her around in her stroller, I think the Stancil girls, they love doing that. They love pushing Mia in her stroller. Um, And it's, like, the most beautiful thing to see. And so because of that, like, and Brayden, he's got, like, dad friends now. Like, it's just, it's awesome. Like, we need that. We need each other. Um, and so, I think that's just one thing that we need to, to recognize from this story. And like, Moses was able to thrive because of the community that his parents and his family had. And that's what I feel like is true for us that community is essential for our ability to thrive as well. The next thing that I'm going to just talk about is the, the depth of compassion that is present in this story both God's compassion and, and a really beautiful side of women's compassion as well. In verse six it says, and when she, Pharaoh's daughter, opened the basket, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And so she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So something in Pharaoh's daughter's like, spirit was moved with compassion when she saw Moses. Like I said, I have a lot of questions not answers. so here are my questions for, for this part. I just Was this maybe the first time that Pharaoh's daughter came face to face with one of these little Hebrew boys and like, saw a direct like, representation of what, her, her, or what Pharaoh was decreeing? Did she realize what it would mean for this baby if she decided to like, stop and not help him? Was she moved by something in her own life? Maybe was there a desire to have children? Maybe she was unable, I, we don't know, I don't know. Um, but maybe that was something that was prompting? And even if it was just, and not just, but even if it was just the divine act of God moving through her, whatever the reason, there was this movement. And I think by picking up Moses, there was some part of her that despite the fear, she acknowledged the humanity of the Israelites. And she was moved by deep compassion to save this baby. Like I said, we also get a really beautiful picture of God's compassion in this story, um, specifically maybe with with Jochebed, um, Moses' mom. So not only does God save Moses' life in this way by being on a, in the basket and being picked up, but God gives Jochebed the gift of being able to nurse and raise her own baby. Um, that gets me, because I'm still in it. And so um, the ability that Jochebed now has with her with her family to have these memories and to share stories and to teach about who God is and to see Moses walk and talk and his little mannerisms, like those fun, beautiful things that all happened in those first like two to four years of life. Um, In this time period, again, they they nursed for about two to four years. Um, And so it was a very substantial time that they got to have these moments together. And not only that, but she got paid to nurse her baby. <laughs> I feel like we glance over that. Um, how many of you moms would maybe like stick it out a little bit more <laughs> if we got paid? I know I would. Um, it would just kind of help this like motivating factor behind you. Um, but again, God's compassion in this way is, is beautiful because, yes, it's physical, and yes, it's emotional, but he also met the financial needs, and that's a very phys- like, physical, tangible, practical way to, to meet somebody's needs. And so I just love that that that's who God is. And something else, again, just significant about about Jochebed being able to nurse nurse, uh, Moses is that in ancient Hebrew, this is is from a commentary um, on this subject, it said, in ancient Hebrew, ethnic solidarity is established by the suckling of the infant. And so the Israelites took equal pride in the notion that Moses was nursed by both his Hebrew mother and was then raised and adopted by the princess of Egypt. So as a deliverer, Moses must belong to both Israel and to Egypt. So this dual citizenship not only was a gift to Jochebed and to Moses and all of those things, but it was this compassion that God demonstrated to set up that Moses could play the role that he needed to because he was part of both people groups. He was Egyptian and he was Hebrew. So compassion for me as a mom has played out in this way where I have just like this newfound softness and tenderness, and I thought I was like empathetic before, but like, whew, Um, some of that is hormones, but not all of it, okay, not all of it. (laughs) Um, There are just, like, the moments that stand out for me are these really simple, beautiful moments. There are moments when I maybe I'm in, like, living room or the bedroom and I hear Brayden and Mia laughing and playing as she's getting ready for bed in the other room. Or when I see Mia like, she's standing up right now, and so when she stands up and looks at me and is like, I'm doing it, it's like, you're doing it, you know? Um, Those are the moments that I think are just, like, the most amazing, beautiful things. Another softball I have now is just seeing parents with their kids, and I think of a couple weeks ago when we had baptisms, you know, the Stedman family, to have Brian over here with, with dad, his son, to get baptized, it just, it hits different now, um, and growing, growing up, I, I felt like, my mom's actually here, my mom and dad, are in the back, so happy Mother's Day. (laughs) It's an easy gift. Um, But no, I feel like when when I was growing up, my mom always said, like, all I want for Mother's Day or all I want for my birthday is, like, you were just so nice to your sibling. You're so kind to him. Or like, you did so great in school. Like, oh man, I just love seeing that. That's the only gift I need. That's the best. And I was like, okay, mom, (laughs) what do you really want? Like, I get it, you know. Um, So we would try and find something that she would like. And that was all special and great for sure. But what I've realized now on, on this side as a parent is I'm like, I, I think that is enough. I think that seeing that kind of compassion and those acts of, of just like true joy and kindness like really are enough. And I think that really is the best gift you could give somebody. Um, you know, I think if they're really, uh, again, the best you could give someone. So I think the best thing we can do is if we've had somebody move with compassion towards us, so whether that's, you know, a mother or a father or just a caregiver or nurturer or mentor or coach, whoever that is in our life, if we've had someone move towards compassion with us, the best gift and the best thing we can do is use that, learn from that, and move in compassion towards the people around us. It's to love boldly. It's to love wholeheartedly, and it's to love compassionately. So I feel like Jochebed and Pharaoh's daughter's example of compassion here had ramifications that we are like still talking about today. And so I believe that our compassion also has the ability to do those same things. Um, The last thing I'll I'll talk about is more, again, more of my my growth, my questions, my story. But I talk about all all of this and and the points have come up, compassion and community and help, because like I said, this is just what I'm learning in real time for me as a mom, Um, Questions maybe weren't something I I felt like I could ask a lot of growing up, primarily around faith, but now that I'm here on this side, like, questions have offered a really beautiful, like, hope for me and being able to be this good reminder that I don't know everything and I don't need to know everything to have this really beautiful relationship with Jesus. Um, Something else for me, too, when I was growing up, I, I didn't really have this deep desire to be a mom. Um, It was not something that I had, like, a lot of thought around. I I hadn't really had a lot of experience with kids. I babysat a little bit. I did not like it. Um, (laughs) It was a lot of work. And when I found out you could tutor for less time, (laughs) for more money, I was like, yes, please. (laughs) Um, So I tutored instead, and that was great. But again, and I just didn't grow up with kids, so it just wasn't, wasn't my story. Um, But because when I felt this way, I ended up, and when we ended up finding out we were pregnant, you know, we had just kind of recently started talking about, like, yeah, maybe this, that would be a good next season. Let's start thinking about it. I was very excited. Obviously, lots of joy, but there was, and and lots of fear, too, you know, just some of the unknowns, but I also just felt really guilty, um, and lots of shame, too, because there was people around me, and I just have known people in my life who... Wanted to be a mom, or wanted to be parents, or wanted to have a family so bad. And here I was, like, I wasn't, that wasn't this deep desire of my heart for very long, but I had this opportunity to, like, be a mom now. And so I, one of the things that I had a really hard time with for a while was that I think I let that fear and that guilt overwhelm me more than I'd like to admit, and I think because of that, I missed out on a lot more of like the joys that happened during your pregnancy and some of those first few months with Mia because of that. Um, but where I'm at now, you know, we've, there's been lots of prayer, my husband's incredible, we've had lots of good conversations, we have incredible friends, again, lots of, lots of talks, lots of prayer through the Lord, and um, I, I feel like I could not imagine not having Mia in my life and being her mom right now, that is just so, I'm in such a different place. But I share this part of my story just to say this, that we don't know the details of everyone's story. We don't know what people are really going through. We don't know what different circumstances or situations, what they mean for somebody, or how they're going to react, or how that's going to affect who they are, the space they occupy, how they interact with the world and within relationships. And that is why we need community, because it opens up such beautiful possibilities of what could be. This story again of Jochebed and Pharaoh's daughter and just recognizing this community, this help and this deep compassion taking all this in is going to change how I parent. It's going to change how I interact with parents, how I interact with Braden and with myself. And because I've been a recipient of such incredible care in a community, I want to be a better participant in what that community can look like for somebody else. So yes, I'm going to sign up for all the meal trains. I do not cook but I can get food delivered, you know, because I know that food is just like one other thing on this huge list that you just don't need to think about because someone else can take that off. And that's good, that's helpful. Brayden is reminding me, that is helpful. (laughs) Um, And so when we experience and see what else is out there, we realize that we are not bound by some of these same limitations that maybe we put on ourselves as mothers and fathers or maybe as men and women, because there's a lot out there you guys been on Instagram lately? Like, there's a lot <laughs> and it's overwhelming. Um, and so all these limitations can be, just be put on us but when we, like I said, when we experience what else is out there, whether that's like real or perceived limitations, we're each plagued with that and the expectations of what our role needs to look like. And so what I think is beautiful about this story is that it shows two mothers. Both of whom, like, I would consider good mothers. Like, they are good, good mothers doing the best they can. And they sacrifice differently and they see this bigger picture because they choose actions that are outside of their roles and expectations. In verse 10, it says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So it says right here that the child grew. And we know that, we know that in our heads. Obviously, we know what Moses did later on in his life. We know he was an adult when he did that, not a baby. But, but when we see this, and we as, like a lot of us are parents and we've, or maybe been around kids, but we know that kids grow. We know that their needs change. We know that they go from stage to stage to stage. You know, we see that progression. And so like, why, oh why, oh why, do we think that stops with them? Like, we as adults, as living, breathing people, like, are able to change still, too. Like, we are going to have permission to grow. We have to have that because that's how we change. We need to keep learning. That's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to try again. That's life, and it's beautiful. But that is also why we need each other so deeply And that is why we need this compassion of the Lord on us, because he offers so much. Again, it's physical compassion, it's practical compassion, it's deep, emotional, empathetic compassion. Um, As we end our time this morning, we're going to end with uh, communion, and I think it's beautiful because this is a time where we all get to be in communion with the Lord, to be in community with him, and to reflect on who he is. Um, so as the band pe- comes back up, um, I have a couple questions, but I do just want to make sure for all the moms out there, for again caregivers, who, whatever that looks like for you, you are doing a really, really good job. Like if you need to know that, you're doing incredible. This is hard. <laughs> People told me it was hard, but this is hard. <laughs> um, so I, I read a I read a quote from um, an author. Her name is Sarah Bessie, and she says, "Perfect mothers exist in the land of unicorns." So, instead of perfection today, like, what are you striving for? What are we striving for? What does the Lord offer us? And as we partake in communion today, we're reminded of this beautiful, beautiful sacrifice that he brings in order for us to be in communion with him because there's value in it and because we need it to survive and to thrive. Again, I just have, here's a few more questions, some that I'm still wrestling with, but ones that I hope that you can take and reflect upon as well. How are you changed because of compassion? What is God still teaching you? Where are you still growing? What questions do you still have in life? Maybe about the story, maybe about a situation. What would it look like for you to ask God? Those questions. I'm going to end just with saying, um, just reading this co- communion um, scripture over you. But um, when I'm done, you'll be able to, we'll have communion stations up front here and in the back. Um, and so as I finish, um, we're going to finish with one more song, but you're invited to, to come to the table um, and partake and know that He is good. So it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night that He was bre- betrayed, took bread.